I came across a saying one time that stuck with me, life is uncertain, death is sure, sin is the cause, the blood is the cure. So I'm sure we all have unspoken. Don't forget our revival's coming up in a couple of weeks. Father, what a privilege it is to be in the house of the Lord, your bro- my brothers and sisters and your children. We're thankful, Father, that we have this place and this opportunity to meet together, to look into the Word of God and learn what you have Uh, given us to learn. We thank you for that. May our ears be open, our eyes be open, our heart be receptive, Lord, to the great truths that you have given to us so that we might serve you. You knew all the requests that uh, we would share one with another, and Father, we lift them up to you, Uh, someone that's able to do what no man can do. And Father, we know when it's all said and done, when it's sicknesses and afflictions, Lord, you're the great healer, you're the great physician. Pray that you'd grace every individual that has been prayed for and needs prayer. Bless their families and especially those homes, Lord, where death has come and taken a loved one away. We pray that you'd be especially near to them. Father, bless our time here and help us to say when we leave from the heart that truly it's been a good place to be in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. I'm going to turn back to the book of Acts chapter 2, but... As we go there, I think you can multitask and say with me, John 3.16, our our foundational verse for this study on what the Bible says about the security of the believer. One, two, three. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What a wonderful verse of Scripture that is. And I'll never forget your all's response to the first study we had on, on the, the security of the believer. I ask you if John 3.16 was the only verse of Scripture in the Word of God that promised us that if we believe in Christ, we'd have eternal life. Would you all believe it? And everyone in here said yes. I'll do a quick review, and we'll pick a couple of little additional things up out of Acts chapter 2, and uh, we'll, we'll look at a couple other things about, about the Holy Spirit and His his ministry to us as we looked at the ministry uh, of Jesus Christ to us in our salvation and also in the maintenance of it or the keeping of it. But if you remember in Acts 2, we started there and uh, we, we learned early on in verse 1 that it is a fulfillment of an Old Testament feast, one of the seven feasts that God gave to the nation of Israel that is Um, that is included in the seven feasts of Leviticus chapter 23 where Moses, through the inspiration of the Spirit of God, recorded them. Now, the explanation for these feasts, just like, for instance, the Day of Atonement is found other places in the Pentateuch, and the Pentateuch refers to the first five books of the Bible, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. But in chapter 23 of the book of Leviticus, we have what I've referred to and other greater men before me have referred to as God's calendar. It's prophetic, it was practical, and it's just an absolutely wonderful, wonderful chapter um, that, well, is maybe, in my opinion, one of the deepest, if not the deepest chapters in the Word of God. So when we begin to look at that, we learn that God knew from the beginning who would make up the church, the Jew and Gentile, and um, he, took, he, he took care to make provisions of the sin that we would have in us. Although we would have a perfect salvation as believers, 
and as followers of Christ and as a part of the body of Christ, yet he knew we would still sin because we're imperfect. Perfect salvation for imperfect people that trust Christ. And that's a pretty good deal. So in chapter 2, we, we, have, we have the fulfillment of the Feast of uh, Pentecost. This happened 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was a picture in those two loaves, if you remember, of, of Jew and Gentile coming together, making up one new thing, and that is the body of Christ. Now, here on chapter 2, we're at Jerusalem. It's on the first day of the week, which is the Lord's Day. It's on the morrow after the Sabbath, or it is also the eighth day. And all three of those connotations have a great truth connected with them in their self, a beautiful, beautiful truth. But the Holy Spirit was promised. Let's all of us look, keep your finger there in Acts 2. Turn back quickly to John chapter 14. We're going to read verses 16 and 17 again. We've already read those, but just simply to refresh our memory, the Holy Spirit came as a promise from Jesus Christ and as prophesied in the Old Testament. John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17 says this, and this is still part of the upper room. Jesus just started the upper room discourse in chapter 13, and he completes it in the last verse of chapter 17. But here he says, And I will pray the Father, and he will send you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Jesus was getting ready to go away. If you remember, in the beginning of John 14, he said, I go away to prepare a place for you. And he was talking to him. He said, because I said I'm going away, sorrow hath filled your heart. So the same thought, the same theme is still being carried on here by Jesus. And it goes on in verse 17 and begins to identify who that comforter is. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither know him, but ye know him. And watch this now. For he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. And for that I say glory, hallelujah. How many of you all are saved in here tonight? Say amen. All of you, as far as I know. Well, listen, when you... All right, on the count of three, if you know your date of your salvation, if you just know the day of the week, or if you just know I was saved, say something. On the count of three, we're going to say one of those three options, okay? Just say you're saved if you don't remember the day or the week, like I do, but, but say something, all right? One, two, three. April the 23rd, 1974. At that moment in your life and my life, the Holy Spirit came to indwell me permanently. That's good news. Do you hear me? He came to take his abode. I'll never forget when I was a kid. I, I'd just stand beside Papa Gerald's. His name was Squirrely. I've told you about him before. And I'd hear a pastor sass brother so-and-so to dismiss in prayer. And I'll never forget it was years before I learned when they said, Lord, go with us to our several or different abodes. I'm thinking, what in the world's an abode? I had no idea that it meant the place that we abide. The Holy Spirit comes and takes his abode permanently up in our heart. And that is, that is good news. 
So um, let's turn to the book of um, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, and we'll probably maybe get another one out of the book of 1 Corinthians. But listen once we get there. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, how simple this is as Paul writes it to the church of Corinth and how simple that it reads as we read it for us here at Roxalana and elsewhere, but how profound that it is. If you're there, say amen. Okay, I thought you would be. He said, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. Now, if you've been paying attention, and I know you have, I don't mean it that way, We've, this is the second time we've seen the word dwelleth. We saw it back there in John 14, verse 17, I believe. When you see a word in the New Testament that has E-T-H on the end of it, I won't be able to tell you probably the proper Greek tense that it is, but it's something like uh, present perfect something. And what that means is, once something has happened, it continues forever after that. Those three letters on the end of that, E-T-H, speaks of a continuing process. How wonderful that is. Isn't it amazing what this book tells us? Look, since we're so close, turn over to chapter, um, chapter 6 in 1 Corinthians, and we'll get another, another verse. Most people may know this more than they know verse 16 out of chapter 3. Listen to what Paul said. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and you're not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorified God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And that will feed into another verse or two of Scripture we're going to look at here in just a little bit. But isn't that good news? that he comes to abide in us forever. Now, let me ask you a question. Was the Holy Spirit, I'm going to ask you two or three questions. Was the Holy Spirit here in the Old Testament? Not a trick question. He was, wasn't he? Even from the beginning, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth's without form and void, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the earth. you remember that? So the Spirit of God was here throughout the Old Testament but did he permanently abide in the Old Testament saints, the patriarchs and the prophets and all of them? Did he, did he abide in them or what, how did he affect them? How did he uh, do his ministry through him? Not a trick question. All right, through the priest, but did the Holy Spirit abide in them permanently in the Old Testament? Watch my head and I'll give you a hint. He came upon them, and we're going to see that. He came upon them and enabled them, whether it was, whether it was Samson to take up the, uh, the gates of the city and carry them, I forget how many miles away, or, or he enabled Saul, the first king of Israel, to do uh, his kingly administrative work that he needed to do, and especially in, in establishing a, I think this is the right word, a monarchy, would that be right, in Israel. Now, it was really a theocracy because 
A king ruled for God, so it would be a theocracy. But he set up an entire government for mankind, like the neighboring uh, nations around him. Go with me, if you will, to, uh, to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 6, I believe. If that's not it, I'll try to run over there really quick before you, maybe. And if that's not it, I'll point you to another place. And that is not. That is not. 1 Samuel chapter 10. And then we'll look at verse 6. We'll try that. That's it. <laughs> Me and my numbers. What can I say? 1 Samuel chapter 10. I don't hear pages rattle. Let's begin reading at verse 1. I'll skip down pick up at verse 6. And then I'll read down through probably and include verse 11. Now, let me tell you what this is. Well, the first verse will tell you. Then Samuel who was a great prophet, took a vial of oil and poured it upon his head, meaning Saul, the son of Kish, and kissed him and said, Is it not because the Lord hath anointed thee to be captain over his inheritance? Now notice, what did Samuel use to anoint Saul with? Say it where I can hear it. Yeah, but what size oil? What does it say? It describes a what kind of oil? A vial. Now, that's important. Okay, that's important. Hey, everybody listen. Everybody listen. Say amen. Everything in the Word of God is important. Everything. There's a, there's a reason for it. I may not know very many of them, but I know everything's necessary. And look at verse 6 now. Jump down to verse 6. And, and, he, and he was talking. Now, let me fill this in between verses 2 and, and, and 6. Saul began to instruct him on where to go and what was going to happen to him, who he would meet, and what he would do. Saul was going to meet some people that would give him something, and he was going to, fi he was going to finally end up with the prophets, and Saul himself was going to prophesy. Hey, everybody listen to me. Just because somebody prophesies doesn't mean they're saved. You're shaking your head, afraid to say amen. I'm just telling you the truth. Jesus said, uh, in that day they shall say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? Have we not done many mighty wonderful works in thy name? And then Jesus said unto them, I never knew you. So watch this. Watch how this flows. And, and Saul told him, when you meet these people, when you get to this place, when they begin to sing or play the, the different instruments, the Spirit of the Lord will, now watch this phrase, come upon you or upon thee. And thou shalt prophesy with them and shall be turned into another man. Now don't read too much into that. That's not saying Saul was saved. Saul was turned into another man. He was no longer the son of Kish. He was now the first king of Israel. Y'all got that? I'm not sure if you trust me with it, but it's true. It's true nonetheless. We've got to be cautious how we write to divide the word of God. Now, it'd be great if it would mean Saul was saved, but I, I hate to say this. I see no evidence of any spirituality in the life and the heart of Saul. All the way through. Now, is he going to heaven? That's up to the Lord. I hope he's there. But I'm just telling you what I see in the Word of God. And he said in verse 7 and following, Let it be, when these signs are come upon unto thee, that thou do as the occasion serve thee, for God is with thee. 
and thou shalt go down before me to Gilgal, and behold, I will come down to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice sacrifices of peace offerings. Seven days shalt thou tarry till I come to thee and show thee what thou shalt do. Now Saul even fell in his first trial. Even though the Spirit of God had come upon him, even though he had been turned into a new man. And it was so that when he had turned his back to go from Samuel, God gave him another heart. He went from somebody just being a man looking for his father's donkeys to the first king of Israel. He gave him a heart to be... He was a great soldier. Would you all agree with that? He did a great job in organizing um, the nation of Israel, taking sons and daughters away from the people of Israel to be, to, um, to be his uh, servants, to be cooks and to be leaders and to be all kinds of things that that nation needed. But we'll, we'll, we'll go on. And uh, all, this, all those signs came to pass that day. Look at verse 10. We'll get verse 11 too and we'll quit. And when they came to the hill, behold, a company of prophets met him, meaning Saul. And the Spirit of God came upon him, and he prophesied among them. And it came to pass when all they that knew him before time saw that, saw that, behold, he prophesied among the prophets. Then the people said one to another, What is this that is come unto the son of Kish? Is Saul among the prophets? Now was an amazing thing for them to see, but God has his reasons in it. Turn a couple of pages over to chapter 16, and let's look at the difference of this. Let's look the difference between Saul, the king that men wanted to be a king over them in Israel, as opposed to David, a man after God's own heart, the man that God had chosen to be king over Israel. Chapter 16, let's pick it up in verse in verse. Uh, in verse 12, now Samuel had come uh, to Bethlehem. And if you're a Bible reader, you know the process of all the sons of Jesse coming by and Samuel saying, no, this isn't the one. And when they had seven sons to pass by, uh, Samuel said, is there no, no other? And they said, yeah, we got a little ruddy guy. His name is David. He's out watching daddy's sheep. And saw, Samuel said, go fetch him. And so in verse 12, and he sent and brought him, meaning David, in. And he was ruddy and with awe of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, meaning to Samuel, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took what? The horn of oil. There's a big difference in a vial and a horn of oil. You say, what does it represent? Well, at least this thing and probably a multitude of others, limited service for Samuel or, or for Saul. A vial of oil he was anointed with. All kings, all prophets, all um, priests were anointed with the oil. With Saul, it was a vial. With David, it was a horn. This vial, I believe, speaks of limited service for Saul, but the horn of oil speaks of unlimited service for David. Now pay attention, watch this. I don't think there's anyone else in the Old Testament that, that there is anything like this written in the Word of God. Look at verse 14. Look at the word, but. 
Wait just a minute. Did I get all of verse 13? All right, let me back up and get it. Then Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the midst of his brethren, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David, listen to this phrase, from that time forward. Isn't that amazing? Going on. But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servant said unto him, Behold, now an evil spirit from God troubleth thee. But pay attention to that phrase where it says that uh, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. Amazing. The only man that I know in the Old Testament where the Spirit of God came and indwelt him, it seems to me, permanently. Now, I wish I knew more about that. All right. Turn with me one other place. Psalm 51. And let me help you with something here, show you with something that I, that I think is an, amazing, is an amazing truth. If you know anything about Psalm 51, and I imagine all of you do, you'll know it is one of what is referred to as David's Piental Psalms, meaning that was one of his psalms that he wrote when he needed to repent. If you look at the superscription under the title or the numbering, rather, of Psalm 51, it says to the chief musician, a psalm of David, when Nathan, out of the book of First or Second Samuel chapter 12, I believe it is, came to him and said, Thou art the man. It could be chapter 11. But when Nathan the prophet came unto him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Now his sin with Bathsheba led him to deceit and even to, to murder. Lots of things. David was in a bad way here. And as David writes and prays this psalm and this prayer of repentance, he holds nothing back. He admits his transgressions, his iniquities, and his sins. And they're all against God. They're all against the laws and the commands of God. But a good study on the, those three different words will prove to be beneficial to you. Look at what he says in, uh, in verse 5. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now here's what David was saying, and here's what he was not saying. He, he was saying, listen, Father, now this is as honest as anybody can be. He said, I did what I did because I am what I am. I am a sinner, so therefore I sin." I am offering no excuse to you. My mom and dad, they weren't sinning when they had me. They were married. They did it according to your laws. I was not an illegitimate child. So he's not saying, I'm trying to give you an excuse because mom and dad, you know, had me. Mom got pregnant before mom and dad got married. None of that. He's just saying, listen, I'm not offering any excuse. I sin because I'm a sinner. You all know what? We still are. I've heard an old deacon many times in a little church over, over in Boone County stand up, and I understood what he meant, but I never agreed with him. He said, you know what? I'm no longer a sinner. I've been saved. You know, I thought, well, you've been saved, dude, but you're still a sinner. Never confronted him. wasn't any reason to, but now look. Let's read on. Picking it up in, in verse 10. Now, all this is good, just for time's sake, can't read it all. 
Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence. And watch this phrase. And take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Can I tell you all? We cannot pray that prayer. David knew that something special had happened to him. All the Old Testament uh, men that God used and women like, like Deborah and, and uh, Miriam and the others that were prophetesses, the Spirit of God came upon them. And when the message was given, the work was done, the battle was fought, he left again. Isn't that amazing? I'm glad that he abides with me forever. I sleep better knowing that I'm going to heaven if I die tonight. You hear me? I sleep bunches, bunches better. But we cannot pray that prayer. We will sin. We'll transgress. We'll perform an iniquity or some kind of sin because we're sinners. Some of them may be gross. Some of them are all, all of them are always grievous to one degree or another. But we can never in sincerity and in a correct way go to God and say, God, don't ever remove thy spirit from me. Now, what two things, though, can we do as believers toward the spirit when we sin? Anybody? Quench him and what else? Somebody said it, grieving. So let's look at those really quick and, and we'll, we'll move on. Um, first of all, in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. Now, as believers, we're the only ones who can do this. I don't, I, don't believe, I don't believe that sinner men and women can grieve the Holy Spirit. They resist the Holy Spirit, the Word of God teaches us. I forget who was preaching, whether it's Paul or Peter, but he told his own people, but you always resist the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, look, look at what it says. The verse starts out and says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. What seals us? The Holy Spirit that dwells within us. Isn't that wonderful to know? How do we grieve the Holy Spirit? What's it mean to grieve someone? Or what is it to grieve for yourself uh, personally, individually? All right, disobedience, if we disobey the Spirit, it will grieve Him, will it not, Miss Betty? We, we injure Him. We, 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 when, when I grieve, I grieve because of the loss, a sense of sorrow, a sense of, of uh, you know, of being injured. So we can grieve the Holy Spirit, like Betty said, when we disobey Him. Let me ask you, have you ever been sitting in, the, in a service somewhere, whether it's here at Roxalana or some uh, other place where you've gone to worship and the Spirit of God moved on you to do something and uh, you said, well, not, not, not now, Lord, or somebody else does, I will, or, or, or you hear a message and the Holy Spirit begins to speak to your heart about something in your life or something that's not in your life that needs to be there, either to get something out or to get something in is the way he works with me a lot of times. And I say, okay, Lord, I'll do that tomorrow. Anybody else been guilty of that? Or I'll say, 
All right, Lord, just as, just as soon as I get home, I'll pray when the Holy Spirit is saying, man, you got an altar up there. Why don't you move now and just seal this deal with me? Anybody else ever been guilty of that? That grieves the Spirit when we fail to obey Him. And all we ought to want as believers to be as sensitive to Him as we can. Let's go over to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we'll find the other thing that we can do to Him. We not only grieve Him, but we quench Him. He said in verse 19 of chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians, and it's real simple, quench not the Spirit. We can quench the Spirit. How do you quench a fire? Cold water. That comes from a fireman, right, Roy? You, you throw water on it, or you, you suffocate it. You keep air from getting to it. These are the things that we can do against the Spirit, but He will, I'm glad to say, never leave us. So now, here's what we're going to finish up tonight on. We're going to finish up with looking at, looking at the fact that the Holy Spirit seals us. And under that, we're going to... We're going to see words again like we've already seen, like the earnest of the Spirit, see that that is a pledge or a promise and that it is a guarantee. And maybe we'll end up over in the book of 1 John for a couple of verses of Scripture that are absolutely, absolutely amazing. Turn with me, if you will, a couple of pages over in Ephesians to chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. And maybe I didn't mention this at the beginning, but this is, we're, we're studying about the work the Holy Spirit does in our salvation. From initially, as we learned last week, bringing us to Christ, baptizing us into the body of Christ, convicting us of our sins, convincing us of our need of Jesus. He partakes in the conversion of us, the new birth. Remember John 3, we're born of the water and of the Spirit. Y'all remember that? So he continue his, continues his work even after we're born into the family of God. Now watch the order of this. This, this is so beautiful. I'm going to pick it up in verse 13 of chapter 1, and I'm heading to verse 14. But he says, in whom... And it's talking about Christ. That's the last two words in verse 12. In whom, that's who it's referring to, ye trusted, also trusted. Now watch the order. After that, you heard the word of truth. If you were here Sunday in my message, I said Rahab, she, she got things right because she first heard the word of God. We can't believe until we hear. We don't know what to believe unless we hear about what we should believe in. We may have faith, but it's not saving faith. But anyway, he said, um, whom you trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believed. You first had to hear, then you had to believe. We, had, we were sealed with the spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance. What's the next word? Until. Boy, I like that word. I like that word. It's a time element word. But it says, until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of his glory. Now, let me ask y'all a question before I get into explaining this a little bit and we begin to look at what seal means and, 
and earnest and all that, and I think you all already know. Um, let me get the question back in my mind, and it slipped my mind. Anyway, it was good, whatever it's going to tell you. But we're going to look at the words. It may come back to me. At this age, that stuff doesn't bother me a whole lot. So when we, when we think about sealing something, what comes to your mind? I know, I know what used to come to my mind when I was young and before I come to understand that I'm secure in Christ, that, that uh, he, he saved me and give me liberty to serve him, not to sin against him. That's what security and believer does. It gives us that ability to serve God acceptably, not to sin and live any old way we want. But I I, 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 we generally relate things in trying to understand and explain them in ways that we understand. Now, how many of you all ever sat out on a hot August evening, afternoon, making sure the fire kept going as mom and dad brought out jars, mason jars, pints and quarts so that they could get in that water that I was charged with making sure the fire on a hot August day, y'all are being feeling sorry for me now, aren't you? Kept burning to hear those little lids go ping, ping. You remember that? I, I, I don't want to do it again, but I'm, I'm happy that I, that I had that privilege way back then. That's all, that's all I can think of. I, I, I was limited in my understanding of sealing is what I'm trying to figure. And I'm thinking... Well, that seal could be broke, man. We broke them all the time, eating the beans, and mom and dad eat the chow chow, and the pickled beans, and the pickled corn, and all that not good stuff if it's pickled. Y'all know what I'm talking about? So, so I, I only related it to something I thought, well, if you know, if it gets sealed, then it can be broken. That's not what he's talking about. There's a lot of different definitions of sealing. So if you think about sealing something, what do you think of? What comes to your mind? Say it again. Preserved, exactly. Somebody else? To cover it, that'll be good. To close it in. And this is where the other words like guarantee comes in. We don't seal things, some people may do, in communication like they used two years ago. They used to get documents and, and they would write them out and maybe they would roll them up and they'd tie them up and then they'd roll them over. They would get a, they would get a candle and they would melt wax on that parchment, would they not? And then there was always a seal, right? And they would hold that candle to the bottom of that seal to it heated up and then they would press it in that wax. And that seal, of course the seal could have been broken. But you see, a seal was more than just something, like I said, you know, the can of, of, of vegetables that we had that could be broken. That seal could have been broken, but a seal was more than that. A seal is something that authenticates. Yeah, yeah. You, you could make big deals on a handshake in somebody's word when I was a kid, couldn't you, Roy? Without a doubt. But that seal said, look, this is a king's seal. I mean, this is authenticated. 
It's sure. Whatever's in this document, whatever's on the inside of this, he's guaranteeing that. Are y'all getting this? Y'all looking real passive, but I'm, I'm being excited up here. That's... Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It, it's embossed when they do that, isn't it? Do, yeah. And what about a, a certified letter? The, 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 if somebody like the post office and Greg Wallace, no, I'm just kidding, could, can guarantee that that gets from point A to point B from one individual's hand to another because they have to sign it. You follow what I'm saying? There's a guarantee. This ought to be stirring your spirit. I'm going to heaven tonight. There's nothing that the devil and all the demons in hell can do against that. I've got a seal of God on me. I belong to God and he, praise God, belongs to me. This shows ownership. It, it is a pledge. It is a promise of something that's going to be carried out just like it was promised. My goodness, what a joy, what a joy that is. Keep your finger there and time goes way too quick. I want to finish this up tonight. Turn quickly to the book of Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. Love this verse of Scripture. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. Now watch how Paul writes this. All the way through this verse, it's wonderful. Being confident of this very thing. Folks, I remember what it was like as a young Christian, as a young preacher, knowing that I'd done all that I could do to be saved, but I had no confidence in my salvation. Because I had my confidence in the wrong place. I had it in T.K. Price. I knew that I'd been saved, knew that I'd been washed by the blood, knew that I'd been baptized by the Spirit, didn't understand any of that, but I knew it. And I was doing my best to, to, to please God and, and, and to uh, repent of my sins when I did and to want to do it in a way that was perfect and honoring and all, but I kept failing. So guess what that did to my confidence? It ruined it. And I'm glad that it did because I finally learned that I need to have confidence in somebody bigger than me, somebody greater than me, somebody more able than me. And I found out it was one who was willing to save me by the name of Jesus. I just didn't understand it. Nobody told me that. So listen now. Being confident of this very thing that he, speaking of Jesus Christ, that hath begun a good work in you, will perform it until seven years goes by. You sin and backslide and die and go to hell. It's not what that says, is it? Well, let me try it again. He that hath begun a good work in you will perform it until 33 years down the road that you just give up and say this is all a farce. And to be honest, I was never truly saved. Doesn't say that, does it? Until the day, until the day of Jesus Christ. That's enough to make us all get up here and take a lap. He that hath begun. Do you remember when I taught a couple of weeks ago on Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, where Paul tells us that 
uh, that we are to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. We're to work it out to the end. He that worked that into us, we should work it out to the end. He goes on in verse 13, For it is God that worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Listen, friend, how many sheep, if Jesus, if Jesus purchased a flock of 100 sheep and he was taken into point, from point A to point B, how many sheep do you think Jesus would get from point A to point B? Now, that's exactly right. He's going to get us there too. I like that. If you all want to turn, I'll quote this one. It's in the book of 2 Timothy, just the latter part of verse 12 of chapter 1. You all know it when I start quoting it. Paul said, For I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. How wonderful. If you want to, if you want to memorize a verse that you haven't memorized, I could highly, highly, highly recommend it. Have we got time for another maybe three or four minutes just to touch our toe in the water of something that, that you'll be glad I shared. Run over to 1 John chapter 5. It's about 17 till, and uh, I, I, won't, I won't take much time getting into this, but I just want to share it with you. 1 John chapter 5. Now, what I feel like the Lord is, is leading me to do in this study, maybe next week probably, what I want us to do is go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and look at the Bema, the judgment seat of Christ, which is only for believers, only for saved men and women. And that's where you'll find about that we in our building for eternity have six different types of material to build with on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And we'll, we'll see that in verse 10 next week, Lord willing. Wood, hay and stubble, or gold, silver, and precious stone. And we'll learn a difference between rewards, all right, and works, okay? That's so important. Listen to what he said here in 1 John 5. I'm going to pick it up in verse 10, read down through and include verse 13. Now, if you mark your Bibles, I'd encourage you to mark these. He that believeth on the Son of God hath. What tense, verb tense is that hath? What does hath mean? If I have something, that's the word. It's present possession, is it not? I have it now. See, I was raised that when you got saved, you didn't know whether or not you were going to get eternal life. You had to wait till you lived and died, and in the judgment, you, you would learn that. No, 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 friend, that's no way to live. We get eternal life the moment we receive Christ as our Savior. Y'all were too quiet on that. That's exactly what happened. We don't wait to see. We get it because we trust Christ. Listen to what he said. He that believeth, present tense, on the Son of God, hath the witness in himself. What is that witness? In fact, who is that witness? Let me ask y'all something. Let me ask you two questions. How many of you in here are saved? Say amen. Who told you that you were saved? Some preacher? Who? Really? He spoke to you, not verbally, but he let you know. How? By the witness of his presence. Yeah. 
something changed on the inside of me, April the 23rd. I went down to the altar, a sinner got up a saint. And there was no diocese that voted on my sainthood either. I didn't have to die before I got sainthood. When I got in Christ, he set me aside. He sanctified me. He set me apart as holy for him. Man, this is shouting ground. Listen to what he goes on to say. We've got the witness in ourselves. Let me ask y'all something. And I'm not going to ask you if you sin, but when you sin, who does the speaking to you? The Holy Spirit. Now, we that are saved can never be condemned again. If you understand that, or if you even heard me say that, say amen. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation. We got out from under that judgment. We got out from under that condemnation when we got saved. But wait just a minute. The Holy Spirit was sent into the world to convict the world of sin. Have you sinned since you've been saved? Shake your little head. How did you know you sinned? By the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. Now, let me tell you, I know that he works through the conscience of man too. But when the conscience fails, believe me, the Holy Spirit will not fail. Let me go on. I told you I wouldn't take long. And it's hard not to stay a long time in this. He that believeth not God hath made him, meaning God, a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his son. But if you read before this, you'll find that men are willing to believe anything men say. How many of you ever read a newspaper article? You'd never met the author of that article, and yet you came away saying, man, I believe every word that dude said. Now, I know we're all guilty of that. If it's not the newspaper, it was a cartoon that we've read, maybe. Um, and you know what John is saying? Look, if we can believe men, God's greater. And it ought to be easier to believe God than men. And he said, and this is the record, that God hath, there's that word, given, past tense, to us. Who are, to, who are the us there? Those of us that were believed, what have we got? Say those two words with me, eternal life. And this life is in his son. Now watch this. How this, this doesn't get any clearer. God couldn't say it any clearer. He that hath, there's that word again. The son, there it is again, hath life. What kind of life? Eternal life. He's done quantified it in the verse above this. And he that hath not the son hath not life meaning eternal life. Well, you said, preacher, we're all going to live in eternal... No, some of us are going to live, others are going to exist. Some of us are going to live, others are going to die eternally, paying for their sins without ever getting them paid for. And that breaks my heart saying that. But let me finish on this. These things, John said, have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. I've got the next part of this verse underlined, tripled, that ye may know that ye have eternal life and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. I'm going to end tonight with saying glory, hallelujah. Thank God 
for his word. If you die tonight, how many of you know you're going to heaven for sure? Say amen. Listen, it's the only way to live with peace. But there's another way, and it's ugly. Now look, I feel sorry for people. I, I'm going to tell you all something. I'm stirred up, and i got to quit. I can understand people that don't understand and don't believe what I'm teaching for the sixth week that I've taught this, and I'll probably have three, four, maybe maybe four more lessons that will come if you all come. I told Debbie tonight, I said, if everybody drops off, I said, I'm coming until I finish this. I know what the Lord's put on my heart. But not everybody has it, but they can. And I can meet with them. I can understand it. I didn't know how to let the Word of God speak. But I remember one time I had left Casey. I was there 16 and a half years, and I was there three different times. Spent maybe the longest period of time away. It was two years when I was over at Laurel City, right? And others, it was just months. Remember I told you we had some problem in the church, and it was rough and rocky at times. But I remember the second time I went back, I shocked some of them. I said, listen. I said, I want you all to know something. I'm not a free will Baptist. I'm going to preach this book just exactly as it gives me. God gives it in this, in this book. And if you like that good, if you don't, you can get rid of me. I'll go as easy as I can. And that's what I told y'all when I come here. Anybody else remember that besides your pastor? I told you I said, I'm going to preach what's in the lids of this book. If you like it, good. You can keep me. If you don't, you can get rid of me. I'll go as easy as I came. I'm not being smart. I'm just telling you. I'm not being tied down to any ministerial association, any kind of, 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 of denomination that pushes a doctrine. Look, folks, I'm a Bible man from beginning to end, and that's all I want to be. I'll be patient with people. I'll be kind with them. I'll share them my convictions and why I believe what I believe. If they want to believe it, fine. If not, here's what I want you all to do as people at Roxolana. I want you to agree with me because I believe I'm right in what I present. I, I never, try to, never try to put something to you that I don't embrace and that I can't show you in the Scriptures why I stand on where I stand. But here's the deal. It's more important for me to help you learn to understand why you believe what you believe and be able to defend it in the Word of God. Does that make sense? I want that for you. I want that for you. Any questions, comments? Bless you. I'm glad I came. I hope you are. Lord willing, we get like, like I say, read 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Read, read the 2 Corinthians chapter 5. That has to do with the Bema. You can, you can, you, you can read the whole chapter. It's a wee chapter, but uh, the, the Bema is mentioned in verses 10, 11, 9, 10, 11, something like that. We'll, uh, 1 Corinthians 3 and 2 Corinthians 5. See, Paul says something pretty profound, I think, in 2 Corinthians 5, along about verse 9. He said that I may be accepted of him. Okay, That's different than Ephesians 1, 6. He said accepted in him, accepted in the beloved. I'll say more about that. Father, thank you. Lord God, thank you for the word and the quickening power that it has upon us. And thank you, Lord, for these folks that have come tonight and listen to the Word of God, and hopefully we've all learned. Thank you for those that are looking in and maybe listening in via sermon audio. May you bless us, Father, as we learn the great eternal truths of your blessed book, the Bible, in Jesus' name. Amen.